Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During January, we're doing a sermon series called Crossover. We're going to focus on the places where different religious traditions align in terms of their beliefs with Christianity. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading today comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing you a new commandment. Not a new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go, because the darkness has brought on blindness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of John. Both of these readings today are from John's community. Jesus says, I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you here? Here. All right, good. Just want to make sure before we get started. Okay, so we've been doing a sermon series. It's called Crossover. And each week we've been looking at a new religious tradition, one that's outside of the Christian faith and understanding how those beliefs cross over and intersect with Christianity. The idea behind this series is not to say that all religions are the same because they're not all the same. The idea behind this series is really to talk about how religions have parallel passive interests where they're trying to achieve the same end, often by different means. So do you remember what we talked about last week? Buddhism. So last week we talked about Buddhism and how Buddhism crosses over and intersects with Christianity. Today we are talking about Confucianism, which you all know very well from all the fortune cookies that you eat at Chinese restaurants. (laughs) So Confucianism is very similar to Buddhism in the sense that it's not really a religion, it's much more of a philosophy or a worldview. Confucianism began with the Chinese philosopher Confucius who lived from 551 to 479 BC. Confucius's father died when he was three years old and so he was raised by his mother. They lived in abject poverty, but he was able to attend a school for commoners and it is there that he learned what was known at the time as the six arts. Now, the six arts are known as rites, archery, music, charioteering, calligraphy, and mathematics. It was believed at the time that if you could excel and become an expert in every one of these six arts, that you would achieve a state of perfection. 
This is very similar to the way that we think of the Renaissance man in the Western world. So the Renaissance man is somebody who's an expert in multiple disciplines. The person who we think of the most as being the Renaissance man who typifies that would be Leonardo da Vinci, right? An amazing artist. He was an amazing inventor. He was good at philosophy. He was good at all of these areas, and he interwove all of those things together. So Confucius, he excelled at the six arts, and then he graduates from his commoner school, and because he was a commoner, he ends up doing common jobs. He goes out and he becomes a caretaker for sheep and horses. He goes out and eventually moves his way up to become a bookkeeper, because remember, he's good at mathematics. But what happens is because he's so good at the six arts, students begin seeking him out to be their teacher in the six arts. And over time, his reputation grows to the point where at the age of 50, he's being sought out by members of the royal family who rule over his region. Now, over those 50 years where he starts to develop his own philosophy, he begins with the six arts, and then he kind of goes out from there and builds on top of that. And his particular philosophy was such that it began with this foundational principle that all human beings are fundamentally good. That's where he started. He believed that. And he also believed that every human being had the ability to improve and become perfected through the right kind of teachings and the right kind of teacher. So it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter the mistakes you had made in your life. Everybody had the chance to turn themselves around and do better. Now, at the core of this teaching, was a belief that our motivation to want to turn ourselves around and to do better comes from our community. So that's what motivates us to do better in our lives is our community. And I want to give you an example of this from my own life that really kind of speaks to what he's talking about here. So when I was growing up, when I was a child, I wasn't particularly good at anything. I didn't excel at anything. I wasn't very good at school. I wasn't very good at sports. I was just your average kid right? And as I was coming up, I knew how average I was because nobody ever really complimented me at anything that I did. <laughs> now, at the age of 12, my mother decided that she was going to get me into year-round swimming. I had done summer swimming, which I know that around here, it's a thing that we do. I got my son into that as well. I did summer swimming on a summer swim team. But she said, you know what? I want you to get into this year-round swimming. So I started doing it. And of course, when you practice every day, all the time, you're going to improve, right? I mean, that's obvious. But what really changed my life for the better was when I would achieve in swimming the people in my community, my peers and the adults around me, would compliment those achievements. And so every time I would win a swim race, I'd have people come up to me and they'd say, hey, you did a really good job. Keep up all that hard work. And what I found was is that my community was really creating this positive feedback loop in my life where they would come up to me, they would compliment me, and really, as I said, that was the first time I had ever truly been complimented on anything that I had ever done. And I wanted more of those compliments. I wanted the opportunity to be able to hear that from my peers and the adults around me, so I worked harder at swimming so that I could get those compliments from them. The same thing eventually happened with my academics. So I wasn't a very good student, and then in my junior year of high school, it finally dawned on me, oh, you should probably study. That would be a good thing, right? And I figured out, how to study for my test. I figured out how to retain the information so that I could do well. And what I noticed was, again, 
that my community, my peers, and the adults around me, they started to compliment my intelligence. And so that made me want to work harder to be able to show them that I could get into these top-level colleges and universities. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of this is because one of the things that Confucius talks about is that if you want to improve your life, you need to achieve in terms of internal self-cultivation, which would be something like achieving in academics. And then you also have to achieve in external self-creation. That would be something like winning swimming races or creating something in the world. But you know what's interesting about, uh, about Confucius is that he really had a sense of psychology before psychologists existed. What he knew to be true was that most people could not do this of their own will. That most people, if you were to say, go out and improve yourself, they couldn't do it because most of us just don't have the capacity to think that way. But when we do want to improve ourselves, oftentimes we will do so because the community rallies around us and it's because we want to benefit the community that we will try to better ourselves. So this is something that makes Confucianism really contrasts something like Buddhism. So if you were here last week for Buddhism, right, Buddhism's all about you trying to achieve enlightenment for yourself, right? It's all about you in relationship to that need for enlightenment, whereas Confucianism is really about you in relationship to your larger community. You with me so far? You zoning out? I know the cold just like makes us want to like get into a ball and, you know, fall away, but stay with me on this. Okay, so as I told you, these royal families, they were coming to Confucius, and they were looking to him to advise on many political matters. And the reason they were doing this is because Confucius, he really emphasized the need for strong families and social harmony. This was something that was really big in his philosophy. Now think about that. If you're ruling a large group of people, you're one of these royal families, doesn't it benefit you that everybody who you're ruling has bought into this philosophy that you should have strong families and social harmony? Doesn't that make that your job a lot easier? 100% it does, right? So this is a big reason why Confucius' philosophy has lasted as long as it has. It's big in the East. Another reason why it's lasted as long as it has is because of the way that he has approached this Chinese idea of yin and yang. I'm sure you all are familiar with the symbol of yin and yang, are you not? Okay, everybody's seen it before. So yin is the dark side of the symbol, and yang is the light side of the symbol. Now, each of these, they represent different things. So yin, it represents being slow, soft, yielding, cold, wet, and passive. Yang, on the other hand, is fast, hard, focused, hot, dry, and active. Obviously, these are opposites, are they not? But what you will notice is that within yin, there is a white dot. So within the dark side, there is a white dot. And within the white side or the light side, there is a black dot. The idea being that yin cannot exist without yang, and yang cannot exist without yin. So you find this in pop culture in a lot of different places. Probably the best place where you would find it in pop culture has to do with Star Wars. So are you all familiar with Star Wars? Maybe a little bit? Okay, so Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader. Now, I'm actually doing a Star Wars reference, Adam, so, right? You can't ever say that I didn't do it. They've been waiting seven years for me to actually do this, right? You gotta write it down. 
TC wasn't here today, which actually kind of made me happy because he's the other one who's really into Star Wars. And I was like, okay, I did it, and he wasn't here for it, and that's okay, but you were here, and I'm really happy that you could see it. So we have Luke Skywalker. We have Darth Vader. Luke Skywalker, who is he? He's part of the, the good side of things, right? He's mostly good, but he has this seed of darkness in him, does he not? And in that seed of darkness that could actually cause him to follow his father to the dark side. Likewise, you have Darth Vader. And Darth Vader, he is mostly dark, but he has a seed of goodness in him. And it's that seed of goodness that, if you've watched the original trilogy, allows him to save his son. Oh, I didn't mean to give that away. Did you all not know that? Uh, shoot. Okay, so save his son in return of the Jedi. The idea being that nobody is all good or all bad. That in fact, even though you have these opposites, even those yin and yang, they really are contrasting with each other, that the fact is that sometimes they are complementary and interdependent. And the Chinese, what they believed was is that everything in the world, everything in the universe is a mixture of these two elements and they're always living in tension with each other. Now, the Chinese, they, put this out there long before Confucius came around. But Confucius, what made him unique and what made him popular is the way that he dealt with the tension of yin and yang. So what Confucius said was that if you are going to find harmony, you cannot exist at the poles. You cannot be mostly yin or mostly yang, like Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker. If you want to find harmony, you have to live in the middle tension by achieving what he called the third rail. So the third rail is what happens when you mediate between the two polarities, you calm the tension and you create peace. So how does the third rail create peace? Well, in the world we live in in the West, we're used to the binary, right? So you're either on one side of the fence or you're on the other. You're liberal or you're conservative. You're Republican or you're Democrat. You're Bears fan, you're Packers fan, right? Like that's the way that we think about things, right? Now, the problem with the binary is that it always leads to conflict, it always leads to strife, and it can lead to violence and war. And so what Confucius tells us is that you can't be any of those things. You can't be liberal or conservative. You can't be Republican or Democrat. You can't be a Bears fan or a Packers fan because the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle. And I know I lost you on the Bears and Packers thing, right? Like, right there. I know you were like, I'm out. I'm done, Alex. I was following you up to then, but I'm out. Now, can you imagine? I mean, I'm, I never use football as an example, so really take this in. Sky, you know, I'm using Star Wars and football all in the same sermon. So if, if this is, how many of you are Bears fans in here? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are Packers fans? We got a few here, right? Oh, yeah. You're in the better team this year, I tell you that much. So, um, so what's interesting, can you imagine, for those of you who are really into your team, being a fan of both, maybe? I mean, is that hard to imagine? It is, I think, for a lot of people. That's true, because in the Western world, the idea is, is that you choose your side. But what's interesting is that Christianity is really based in this idea of the third rail, particularly in the way that we think about God. Now, we read from the Gospel of John, 
And if you've ever read the Gospel of John, what you know is there's all this imagery of light and darkness. And that light and darkness is really getting that, that binary polarity we are talking about. So what is light? Light represents goodness, holiness, love, and purity. What does darkness represent? Darkness represents wickedness. It represents corruption. It represents evil, right? And all of these things, when they come together, when you think about light versus darkness, in John's gospel, they're posing a question to you. And the question is, which side are you on? Are you aligned with the forces of light, or are you in bed with the forces of darkness? And if you want to be aligned with the forces of light, you better be on Team Jesus, because otherwise it's not going to work out well for you. Now, what's interesting is that when you read John's gospel, you get to this point, and it always catches me. It always takes me by surprise, because we get to this point in chapter 14 where Jesus says, hey, I'm going to leave you guys behind, but I want you to know I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to leave you with a guide, and that guide is the Holy Spirit. He calls it the advocate, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. So in John's gospel, what you have to realize is that the Holy Spirit is really God's presence in the world while Jesus is away from us. So in the middle of all of this talk about light and dark, good and evil, us versus them, Jesus introduces this idea of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this important? Because the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, right? You all probably know that, don't you? So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity. Now, Christian theologians have always said that the Holy Spirit mediates between God the Father and Jesus the Son. It's a mediator. And have I been talking about mediation in all of this, right? So the idea is, is that the Holy Spirit's in the middle of all that. So for John's gospel, what you have to appreciate is that the Holy Spirit is the third rail. The Holy Spirit is what brings us to the middle ground, gets us out of the binary, so that we can find that sweet spot. And the way John's community talks about the Holy Spirit is in the form of love. So it says, whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. Now, why I find this to be remarkable is, do you know people who love each other? Have you ever met somebody like that? Are all of those people Christians? No. There's a lot of people who love who aren't Christian, are they? And so what this tells us is that I find this to be so beautiful because if the Holy Spirit is love, then what that means is that love is this third rail in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I have found this to be true in my life. Love has this amazing ability to get us out of our black and white thinking and bring us to the middle. Now, I want to give you a story of this. I want to tell you a story about this from my own life. So back in 2003, I'd just gotten married to my wife, and she, we'd each done a year. I'd done a year of seminary, she'd done a year of law school. And so I decided after we got married that I'd move out and let her finish law school out there, let her. I know you're going to probably say something about that, but no. I was at, she was in Malibu. I wasn't letting her do anything. I was going out to Malibu. Tough sacrifice on my part. So I go out to, to, to Malibu, and I'm with her. She's finishing up law school, and I figure, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to get a job as, uh, as an intern so I can finish up some of my field ed credits for seminary. So I go out 
to, uh, to California, I start working in this church, and they put me with a youth group that has like 80 kids in it. So it's like, and that's just a senior high. That's not even the middle school. So they got 80 senior highs. I come into this, and they have all of these, uh, all of these parents who are working with the youth group because they need all these advisors. There's so many kids there. And I got to know these parents pretty well. And one of the parents who I got to know in the middle of all this, we would get into discussions about different things, and he was very black and white on the issue of homosexuality. Now, his name was Mike, and Mike was this really good guy. There he is. So he's very black and white on it. So to him, homosexuality was a sin. It was wrong. It went against the natural order of things. And if you know me, you've heard me talk about this, you probably know I'm on the other side of this issue. I don't think it's sinful. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's the way people are born. And therefore, for me, I don't see it as being against the natural order at all. But we go back and forth on this. He had his view, I had my view. And so we debated on this for like two years until 2005, and then I got up, and then my wife let me come back over to go to seminary. <laughs> so we went back, we went across uh, the pond, we went all the way across back to New Jersey. And while I'm in school there, um, word comes to me, because you know, you leave behind these churches that you're in, and you just hear stuff through the grapevine. Word comes to me that Mike's daughter, Michelle, who you're seeing right there, who he's running with, she comes out as gay. Now, I didn't know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I didn't know how he was going to deal with this situation. I didn't know what he was going to do. Because what I can tell you about Mike is that he loves his daughter more than anything in the world. Loves her to pieces. But he was very black and white on this issue of homosexuality being wrong. And so I didn't know if he was going to end up rejecting his daughter. I didn't know what had happened. Nobody told me anything. And years went by. And two years ago, I took a trip out to California. I decided what I was going to do is I'm going to go up and I was going to see all these people. They had actually, the guy who I worked under had started his own church. So I wanted to go see that. And when I sat down in the church, Mike happened to sit next to me. And so immediately we got into a conversation, literally during the pastor's sermon. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, he starts talking to me about this in the middle of the sermon. And what he says to me is, he goes, Alex, you know I'm a pretty conservative guy, but I love Michelle, and I love her partner, Nicole. That's her partner right there, and they're actually engaged to be married right now. And so he said to me, I want them to be happy. I still don't know if it's right to be gay, but if that's the way God made her, then who am I to judge? Now, I found that to be really, really amazing because what it told me, and it's why I tell you this story, is because it illustrates how love really is a third rail in our lives. Because here you have this guy who is very black and white on this issue. I mean, for him, it's very, very simple. It's wrong, and there's really no discussion about it. But then, the situation comes into his life and he has to use God's spirit of love. And that forces him to the middle. It forces him into that tension. And remember, he didn't say to me, I think it's all okay now. Because he doesn't necessarily believe that. But he was willing to come to the middle and he was willing to love and accept his daughter regardless. And so I really have been thinking about this example a lot over the years. And it occurred to me, what if we could all be like Mike? I don't know if you've ever, I think we should make that a slogan. Has anybody done that before? Be like Mike? I wonder if we could all be like Mike. And 
Find these places in our lives where we can come to the center, come to the middle. How would that change not only our families, but our church, our society, our world, if we could do that? You know, what used to make this country and its politics so strong, what made our political system as strong as it was 100 years ago, was the fact that every single person who got into politics understood on a fundamental level that in order to govern, you had to draw from all kinds of various political ideologies to make it work. That no one thing was actually going to make it function. So if you were a legislator 100 years ago and you wanted to bring a bill through the Congress, you knew you weren't going to get everything you wanted. You knew that you were going to have to give some things up. And so coming into it, you had to figure out what principles are the most important to me that I'm going to hold on to and what are the ones I'm willing to let go of. But that is not the America we live in today. What's happened is, over the last 40 years, during my lifetime specifically, we have undergone this dramatic shift in our society where people no longer simply believe that their political ideology is the right ideology, which everybody's always believed, right? I mean, everybody believes that their way of thinking is the right way of thinking. But what's happened is, not only do people believe that to be true, but now, in our government, what people believe is that their political ideology is the only right way forward in any given situation. And so what that means is there's really no room for conversation. There's really no room for compromise. There's no room for negotiation. It's a my way or the highway kind of attitude. So what's happened is our country has become this massive pendulum that is now swinging further and further to the edges. So what happens is we elect a president, and the president comes in, and the president's goal is to dismantle everything that the previous administration did. doesn't matter whether any of it was good or not. You're going to tear it apart. It's wholesale, repeal, and replace. And then what happens is four or eight years later, we elect a new president, and that president comes in, and we swing it all the way to the other side, and then they're going to dismantle everything that the previous administration did, regardless of whether it was good or not. And it happens all over again. Now, Confucius... He would look at our political system today and he would say, yeah, it's obvious why you guys are in total disarray and total chaos. You can't live at the edges like that. You can't be that way. If you think you're right all the time, you're not only fooling yourself, but you're going to end up failing most of the time. Where we need to be is we need to take this third rail from Confucius and Christianity and come to the middle. We need to live into that third rail of love in our lives. And so here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do today when you leave. I want you to imagine for a moment, and I know that each of you can think of somebody, a time in your life where your unwillingness to compromise on something caused you to bring pain and hurt to somebody else's life. Where was a time where your relationships suffered because you were unwilling to see the other side of things. Where was a time in your life where a little bit of love could have gone a long way? And what I want you to do is, because I know every single one of you has the person who you're thinking of in your mind right now, what I want you to do is I want you to embrace that third rail of love. I want you to find that person. I want you to sit down with them. I want you to live in the tension, show them love, and listen to their side of things. Because I promise you, when you're willing to do that, 
amazing things can happen. Whenever I have a conflict with someone and we're able to sit down together and actually have a conversation to talk it out, we may not agree on everything once we leave, but at least we love and respect each other enough to see each other as a human and we're not going to mistreat one another. And every time somebody comes to me who asks for my counsel, when they say, I struggle with my spouse, I struggle with my children, I struggle with a family member or a friend, I say, sit down and have a conversation. Yes, it is hard to do. It is hard to have these conversations. And it takes two to tango, by the way. You can't do it on your own. And a lot of times what happens is people are not willing to sit down and actually have those conversations with you. They're not willing to sit down and have the talk. Why? Because they're uncomfortable. It's hard to sit there with somebody who you have a conflict with. It's hard to sit there and live in that friction, to live in that middle tension. But if you're willing to do it, what I believe to be true is that God's love thrives the most in those situations. Our world is forcing you right now to the edges. It's saying, come to my side and let's put on the gloves, right? You get in your corner, I'll get in mine, and we're just going to duke it out and we'll see who last man standing. That is not the best way to do things. The truth is, is that Christianity calls us to be in the middle. It calls us to find that love in our lives. It causes us to reach out, to be with those people with whom we disagree, because that's the way we make a better world. It's the way we make better lives for our families. It's the way we make a better church. It's the way we make a better society. And if we're all willing to engage in that third rail kind of love, we truly can change the world for the better. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.